host, Paul Marshall. Today we'll be speaking with Heather Pajak from OMB about the updates to A123 Appendix C. Good morning and welcome to the podcast. Today we have Heather from OMB. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Well, today we're excited to talk all about improper payments. Uh, there's a brand new Appendix C out there on the street, and uh, Heather was one of the main architects here of that, and uh, we want to delve into that. So, won't, Heather, won't you start off with uh, just introduce yourself and your role at OMB? Thank you, and thank you for having me. So, my name is Heather Pajak, and I work at the Office of Management and Budget in the Office of Federal Financial Management. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined the Office of Federal Financial Management in 2013 um, after spending seven years at the General Services Administration. And during my time at OMB and in OFFM, I've covered a variety of portfolios, such as internal controls and financial reporting and, of course, payment integrity. Right. Um, currently, I am the lead for the payment integrity portfolio, which, right. of course, covers issues of improper payments and fraud. Um, and my job is to, of course, implement all of the various improper payment laws that we have across mm-hmm. the government and write the policy and, of course, look for innovative ways to try to help agencies prevent improper payments as well. Right. Absolutely. And uh, I'm sure there's uh, plenty of need for that. So uh, I was curious to start off with um, what were some of the overall themes that you were all trying to incorporate into the update? You know, what are some big picture things? Right. Well, I think that just when users will read the guidance, um, you know, they'll see that we we were able to consolidate 78 pages of previous guidance and eliminate and replace three previous OMB memos Mm -hmm. in our most recent issue of Appendix C. Um, You know, burden reduction is a, a very big theme. We really took the magnifying glass in mm-hmm. and tried to significantly reduce any unnecessary or burdensome improper payment requirements. Uh, and that's, is that a government-wide sort of thing right now, the burden reduction? I think government-wide we are yeah. trying really okay. hard with any new policy and new mm-hmm. guidance that comes out to make sure that we are very cognizant of any burden right. or unintentional burden um, that we're placing on agencies. Right. Right. So, yeah, so the process to, of course, revise Appendix C, it was about a year. Hmm. Um, and it's it's a pretty big undertaking. Yeah. Um, you know, it involves multiple comment rounds. Mm-hmm. We receive comments from SIGI and GAO and, of course, the agencies. Um, we had over a thousand stakeholder comments yeah. that wow. we, of course, went through and adjudicated. Every so. single one, right? <laughs> right. Everyone. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, and... So burden reduction was a big piece of it. Um, Were there any other items in there? I mean, ERM is kind of a big topic these days. Right. So you will, users will see that we have enterprise risk management. It's sprinkled throughout the guidance. Mm -hmm. Um, But in particular, I would say there are two sections where they Mm -hmm. would see the most enterprise risk management, Um, one being the risk assessment section. Mm -hmm. Previously, we didn't allow a lot of flexibility in the guidance for agencies to appropriately apply enterprise risk management to their improper payment risk assessments. Mm -hmm. Um, And so with this revision, we have rather than 
um, mandating that each and every risk factor be um, considered and be um, sort of shown that it was considered during mm-hmm. the risk assessment, we're allowing the agencies to really take an enterprise risk management view and right. select those risk factors that really are the ones that are impacting the improper payment risk in their programs. For their particular Exactly. Program. Mm-hmm. Um, well, mm-hmm. And they also, of course, the internal control section. We have mm. enterprise risk management. It, really, it, we overhauled that section to revise it, to incorporate the enterprise risk management framework just into mm. the payment integrity space. Okay. Right. That's good. Um, now, we were talking before about uh, this concept of monetary loss. I think that's something also. Can we explain that a little bit of for the course, listeners? Right. So monetary loss, it, it is introduced a little bit in this guidance. Mm-hmm. But why it's important in the improper payment space is that not all improper payments actually result in a monetary loss to the government. Mm. Um, we have instances where maybe an agency does overpay or pay the wrong recipient or pay the incorrect amount, mm-hmm. and that results in an amount that, of course, needs to then be recaptured, and right. it was a, a money out the door, cash yeah. out the door. But yeah. the improper payment definition is structured also in a way that there will be instances where maybe an agency didn't follow the proper procedures mm-hmm. under statute to mm-hmm. issue a payment, and but at the end of the day, they did still pay the right recipient the right amount. Right. That isn't an issue where a payment needs to be recaptured, but under statute, we do still consider those improper payments mm-hmm. because there was an internal control that was broken right. um, you know, when that payment was being issued. Right. So we're trying to differentiate a little bit more between the two, mainly because the mitigation strategies for attacking these are different. It's different, right. It is. That's right. almost, you know, by accident, we did the right thing. <laughs> so, okay, right. that makes sense. Right, right, because that could also make your number sound a lot higher than the actual you know, detriment that's happening. Right, you know? right. So go, money going out the door is not necessarily this number. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, so maybe let's get a little bit into uh, some of the, the, the more details of the update, um, especially around the burden reduction. Can you give us some examples of uh, where you guys did reduce the burden? Of course. So I think it's important just when, before we would dive into some examples, it's mm-hmm. important to explain why we might have taken this lens, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So historically, the federal government has really focused on reducing improper payments broadly and following the prescriptive compliance exercises Mm -hmm. rather than strategically targeting those improper payments, of course, that we were just speaking about that result in the monetary loss. Um, And so when we revise this guidance through the reduction of the unnecessary and burdensome reporting requirements that weren't really serving the useful or cost-effective purpose, the guidance really helps the agencies use their resources to focus on getting payments right Mm -hmm. rather than just performing these compliance exercises that at one time were likely put in place for good reason, Mm -hmm. but just over the years we've realized they're not driving the right behavior. Right. And so a few examples where it was important to sort of remind agencies or give the opportunity for agencies to reduce the burden within the revision. Um, One is that we included a a reminder that agencies should revisit their policy to determine whether the processing and documentation requirements were necessary if for some reason they find that 
the payment that they're reviewing is actually still proper, mm -hmm. even when those policies are not followed. Hmm. Now, of course, this relates to those policies that were maybe established by the agency versus those policies that might have been established in statute or regulation. Okay. Those policies and statute um, that are in statute or regulation, of course, if those aren't followed, then it, it is yeah. under the definition an improper That's payment. Right. Um, we also did allow the agencies to go ahead and submit requests to OMB for the relief from reporting, mm -hmm. even if they're unable to attain an, um, the agreement from their OIG. Hmm. So the way that the guidance had worked in the past is that when an agency had been below the statutory threshold for yeah. two consecutive years, um, that was a signal that they could come to OMB and ask for relief from reporting and just go back into that three-year risk assessment cycle. Okay. Um, but to do that, they had to have the assertion from their OIG. And right. we found that some agencies were having trouble getting that assertion, but mm -hmm. it, the OIG's reasons for not agreeing weren't necessarily related to the agency being above or below the statute. Sometimes they oh. weren't even related to issues related to improper payments. Oh, okay. Um, oh. And so rather than making that the end-all be-all, mm -hmm. we're allowing agencies to still come in and request relief, and then OMB, of course, will work with the OIG and the agency to determine mm -hmm. just what the appropriate course of action is. Right. I mean, the IG can still audit of different course. things they want to audit, so it's not really a limit on that at all. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I think a third um, just area where we'll, you, we'll see a big burden reduction mm -hmm. for the users is with the increased threshold for the high-priority programs. Oh, right. So previously the threshold was um, for those programs reporting more than $750 million, mm -hmm. um, they were considered what we call high-priority, which right. basically means they have a few extra requirements around them, a little mm -hmm. bit more of a magnifying glass, right, is mm -hmm. placed on them as they go throughout the year reporting improper payments and reporting actions, right, to prevent them. Um, but we found that by increasing the threshold to $2 billion, mm. which I know seems like a pretty <laughs> large jump, we were still covering over 90% of the population yeah. um, and of the improper payment in the government. So we were able to relieve the burden for about seven programs by right. doing that. And of course, yeah. I think it is still important to mention that OMB, in all instances, does still have the authority to designate mm -hmm. a program high priority, even if they fall below the threshold. Okay. So, we so still, if you see something, uh -huh. we can. We can still have them be high priority and have a little more of a magnifying glass on them if we think it's needed. Right. That's good. Because, you is. know, I mean, this is general guidance, but there's always exceptions or special things, you know, of you course. need to focus in on. Um, right. So it totally makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um Okay. Well, so yeah, I definitely, when I was looking through, I noticed a lot of areas where, you know, requirements have been, you know, reduced or, you know, made a little less burdensome. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, one area I was just wondering about a little bit, uh, the, uh, the payment recapture audits. So I think right now, basically, you know, if it's, uh, if your, if your outlays are over a million, basically, um, that you at least need to assess whether you should do recapture audits if they're, or to assess if they're cost effective. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so explain that a little bit more. I mean, what, what, what if it's not cost effective? What do you, what do, you do? Right. So that's a great question. Um, so the payment recapture audit threshold, it relates to those formal payment recapture audits, and it's, it's rooted in statute. Mm -hmm. So um, it's basically saying to the agencies, if you are, have an outlay of over a million dollars in a fiscal year, 
you need to assess your program to see if it is going to be cost effective to have a formal payment or capture audit. Mm -hmm. um, so the formal payment or capture audit would be something such as hiring a payment recovery audit contractor to right. perform your audits for you. Maybe they work on a contingency fee basis. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have the other type of recaptures, and those are those recaptures that happen outside of the formal payment or capture audit, such as recovering those items that might be identified in the annual sample that you're hmm. pulling to report your improper payment estimate. Sure. Right. So I think it's important to note that even if you find that it may not be cost effective to hire a formal payment or capture auditor mm -hmm. or to go that route, agencies are still required to um, perform recaptures right. of those improper payments that are overpayments, right, that are sent out the door. Um, so. Right. So even if you're under the million dollar threshold, you right. should still be recapturing. Absolutely. Right. Um, well, I was also uh, thinking the listeners would find it interesting to hear some kind of success stories or, or strategies, methods that agencies are using that have been successful in uh, reducing improper payments. Um, yeah, so maybe you can delve into a couple of things you've seen. Of course. So I, I think it's important to notice what one of our bigger success stories is that between fiscal year 2016 and fiscal year 2017, agencies reported that their monetary loss estimates in total actually decreased by approximately $7 billion. Wow. Um, so it's it's really tricky, though, to say which one mitigation strategy was the strategy, sure. right, that right. contributed to that just due to the nature of how our sampling and how our reporting works. I mean, a mitigation strategy and corrective action may have been in, put in place, you know, five or more years ago. Right. And just now agencies it's... and programs are just now seeing that effect. Yes. But I will say that in general, we're seeing some themes in some areas okay. where agencies are seeing some success um, and where I think the government may be, may be going and need to sort of dive into a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, for example, agencies are getting better at identifying their true root causes okay. of improper payments. And, and by doing that, that is allowing them, I think, to develop more effective mitigation strategies. So if you know what's mm -hmm. really causing that improper payment to occur within your payment process cycle, um, and you can sort of put a stop to it right at, at mm -hmm. the heart, you're going to be more successful at sort of preventing improper payments going forward. Right. Um, we're also seeing that agencies are having success when with their getting access to the real-time data. Hmm. Um, so having access to this data and moving towards implementing like a continuous monitoring platform, it, it can means moving more closer, of course, to the real-time data, finding mm -hmm. the improper payment um, and stopping it even before it happens, um, rather than being in this pay and chase model, right. which is incredibly you know, ineffective. We want to fix that improper payment left of check always. So, so that include real-time data on the recipients too, right? We're talking about... Whatever, right. right, they're, they're right. verifying there. And of course, I think there's a lot more that we can do, but mm -hmm. I think that is definitely an area where we have potential to grow and improve. Um, we've also seen some success with predictive analytics. Mm -hmm. So using the predictive analytics to identify certain scenarios in the payment process that might mm -hmm. be indicative of an improper payment and then applying that in the future to other payment process streams to flag those potential questionable um, payments right. as though, you know, 
as something that might need an extra review before going out the door to make sure it it is right. or is not an improper payment. Right. So, um, so when you see certain you know trends or certain flags popping up on a on a scenario that you use some predictive analytical tools to say, hey, this is something we need to <laughs> exactly. look at more closely before money goes out. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I think finally, just another area where we as a government and where agencies in general um, can expand and improve and see success is taking that enterprise view, mm-hmm. the enterprise view of managing the improper payment risk. And of course, this relates back of, to enterprise risk management. But yeah. in this aspect, it's more that it's important to look across the organization, make sure you're setting the tone at the top that payment integrity is, in fact, a priority mm-hmm. um, and working across any silos that exist within both within the agency and across the government. Right. Make sure that when we can, we're sharing data, we're sharing lessons learned. Mm-hmm. This is something that we are really trying to dive into within the getting payments right cross agency priority goal. Right. Um, because we really think know. there's a lot of potential for success in, in sharing. So since you're the, you know, up at, at OMB, you're able to see what's going on, all, the, all these different agencies. And maybe you start seeing things that they may not realize within themselves that, you know, you, you might point out to them, maybe you should collaborate with this agency or this program. I mean, does that come up? Exactly. And yeah. so, for example, we might have an instance where in one agency we have a healthcare program, mm-hmm. right? And Maybe they've found a way to identify suspicious actors and suspicious doctors. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a few a healthcare programs across the federal government. Several, and right. so we want to make sure that if, if we're able to, that that program is sharing that information with maybe mm-hmm. other programs that also provide healthcare or deal with doctors because there's probably a good chance if you have one suspicious actor operating in one program oh, in right. one area, mm-hmm. that actor may also be operating in another program uh, as well. Another program, yeah, other government programs as well. Exactly. Right. And do you all, I mean, does, you know, do you guys ever facilitate, you know, discussions between agencies or different folks just to, I mean, not just the data sources or the kinds of things they should be looking for, but even, you know, you said predictive analytics tools that they might want to consider or things that have worked for one and maybe will work for you. Right. So we've done a little bit, of course, of that in the past, but I think that this, as we continue to dive into this getting payments right cap goal, we're going to see a lot more of that. And we're hoping we'll find a lot more um, of these, you know, best practices and solutions that are working in one area yeah. that can be leveraged across others. Yeah, I think that'd be a great asset, you know, to see more of that mm-hmm. for sure. So kind of going along the same topic, but maybe more futuristic, uh, I wanted to get your feel on, do you, th- do you see any potential advances, technological advances coming out here that might have a, a significant impact on reducing improper payments in the future? I mean, I think that when we look way down in our mm-hmm. future, right? Yeah. You know, the concept of, of blockchain, I I believe that has potential mm-hmm. to help us prevent improper payments from occurring just through its ability to establish those proper check for eligibility before the payment is actually made. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure there are other technological advances mm-hmm. that as the government moves forward, um, we'll probably find would also be incredibly helpful right. for preventing improper payments. Yeah, maybe something, I mean, like, there's a lot of talk about bots, robotics, and automated, you know, a lot of automation, even artificial intelligence. Um, 
you know, I mean, think of just think about Google. I mean, you can put in three or four key terms in Google and the things come together. You may not have realized, you yeah. know, this person is on the news for having defrauded this or something, you know. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I would assume these kind of things are just going to keep on, you know, moving forward. I, yeah, I think that as technology advances and as we as the government figure out how to use that and tap into that. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, possibilities for preventing improper payments. Right. Absolutely. So, um one question I wanted to ask a little bit about. So I, I feel like there's some some improper payments. It's kind of a maybe there's legislation out there that it just you know it's more it's important to get the funds out to the recipients, and it's not always easy to to kind of prevent an improper payment. You have to come after it, you know come and get it later, and it might be a legislative thing. Is there anything that you know OMB can do or anybody you know you recommend it? Kind of address those kind of causes, I guess, for improper payments. So yeah, I think you know you are, you are right. We do have situations where the mission of the program um, is such, or the program is structured in such a way that it is going to make improper payments, um, just because it needs to get the funds out to the citizens mm-hmm. um, and to taxpayers in need quickly. Right. Um, you know, I think it's 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 a difficult sort of situation but maybe improving the communication with the hill and Mm -hmm. with lawmakers would be important so that there is an understanding of the nuances of improper payments and how how certain policy decisions could adversely or or unintentionally create an improper payment that may be one way that we can help with trying to reduce the statutory barriers um, for some of these programs in the Mm -hmm. future Right. Right. That makes sense. Um, yeah, because I think I mean, maybe they just not they're not realizing, you know, that what the intent of the program well, it might make it difficult to, to prevent these things. So mm-hmm. maybe just more awareness. Yeah, exactly. It's always a good thing. Yep. So uh, just one final thing I wanted to kind of touch on was um, as far as looking toward the future again, but now as far as the law itself or, or the you know the guidance that you all put out there, do you envision uh, what do you envision being kind of the next? generation here as far as guidance so i think i mean i think it's of course i it's hard to predict which changes will occur and and when but if you look at history and the fact that we do have new improper payment related laws every few years or so i would think that it's safe to assume that we would want to we should expect that there mm-hmm. will be something that could be coming out in the future. I think that I would hope that any new legislation uh, that comes out, I would hope that we will see that they stress the importance of prevention of mm-hmm. the improper payments. Right. Um, because once that payment goes out the door, it's often incredibly difficult <laughs> to recover. Um, so if for example, for every dollar over payment that we send out the door, on average, mm-hmm. we're only able to get about 47 cents back. Wow. So it's I <laughs> really hope that new legislation that might be forthcoming will really take a an important stance on, on allowing agencies to use the resources to focus on the prevention of right. that improper payment. Well, and again, with technology, I mean, you know, prevent. I think I, part of the reason they wanted to, you know, not put a burden on getting the money out is because it's you know a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. takes forever you don't want to you want to get the funds out quickly but now technology has improved i mean we can do things more quickly you know you don't have to have a maybe a paper form you can type it in on you know a form on the internet or whatever it may be so maybe those kinds of technological advances will make it you know easier to start preventing things without the burden of people waiting for their funds that they need that could right. be something I hope so so um and then how about as far as omb's guidance you know what do you think you might see anything 
enterprise risk management seems to keep coming up. Is that something that we might see more of? So I, I think that there is a plan, you know, like we were speaking about before, you know, we, readers do see that enterprise risk management is sort of sprinkled throughout Appendix C right, right. now. But I know we have been discussing the ways that we can incorporate even more enterprise risk management into just the payment integrity mm-hmm. area mm-hmm. Um, within improper payments. We also, of course, are, are still trying to find ways to reduce the burden for the agencies. So mm-hmm. I would anticipate that I don't know when, but I do know sure. that we're not done with our revision, right? right. That you, it's a very large document. There are still, I think, opportunities to improve. Um, so I would expect and anticipate that there would be another version of our circular, you know, Appendix C coming out sure. sometime in the future. Sure. Well, Heather, thank you very much for joining us today. I think we learned a lot, and I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Visit us at agacgfm.org. See all the other podcasts. You can leave us some feedback. Let us know who you'd like to see as a guest. And until next time, this is Paul Marshall signing off for Accountability Talks with AGA. AGA.